Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward. And um, yeah, that's what my mom calls me too. <laughs> yes, indeed. Back up in you. One more game. What's going on with you, Q? Oh, man. Our country, our constituents, our brothers and sisters, our people, we are dealing with a lot right now, all at the same time. Um, you know, people trying to stay warm in areas where that's not typically a thing. They're not ready for it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of been not just dominating the news cycle, but, you know, I know you do. And I have plenty of really good friends down in Texas that are dealing with what we see as a news story, as a part of their regular everyday real life with, you know, not just adults, but their babies, you know, their pets, their animals, their families, their in-laws. They're dealing with a lot right now. And thank God that they're starting to have some uh, some eco recovery. The temperatures are starting to rise a little <laughs> bit to still cold, but livable. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, when we were talking about that last week and, and just kind of the optics around it, um, you know, I feel like we were able to help contribute to a, a, a national demand, media demand for our elected representatives to do better. You know, um, you know, the greed, I hope so. The greed was on full display. The, the selfishness was on full display. We don't have to rehash all that, but. You know, shout out to capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got to do a, a show on that. Uh, I was talking to a, a friend and, uh, you know, we, you know, that, that's going to be challenged at some point in the future. So we're going to have to really make our points. But, yeah, shout out to capitalism one time. Um, well, today we have a very special uh, episode. You know, for the past couple of episodes, I wanted to do, you know, a little bit more in the way of black history. And I think that today we're going to be able to talk a little bit about black history, but we also have a couple of special guests in the building. So uh, these guys are from the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association, and there's a whole lot that I'm really excited to talk with these guys about. So uh, I want to say welcome to Jesse McQuarrie. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Great, of course. And uh, I want to get this right. Shanson Chambers. Yep, that's right, man. Okay, all right. Thanks for having us. Yes, of course. Um, and so, uh, in, in in order to make sure that you know our listeners really know who you are and what the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association is, um, why don't we talk a little bit about how it started, why there was a need for it, um, and why you know why it's important. Okay, I'll get started with that. So, uh, yeah, I started my adventure in, a, in, the, in the cannabis industry about five years ago. And uh, just like with anything else in, in, uh, in Arizona, we, uh, we just felt the need uh, that's needed within Arizona for association to help uh, empower and educate and, uh, and uh, further our people within the cannabis industry. So I just felt the need uh, to start a organization to help that okay. that void and specifically uh black cannabis so the black cannabis just to be clear it's not about a, diff- a certain color of cannabis strain or anything oh no 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 <laughs> no it's a cultural component yes <laughs> yeah okay. for sure for sure so why why was it necessary to have a black cannabis trade association just with the surrounding events you know with with black lives matter and everything else that's going on 
in the world. We just wanted to be specific about uh, what's going on, but not just target blacks. It's, it's more for for everyone at the same time. But so sure, so sure. With, with the passage of Prop 207 in Arizona, there's 26 to 29 dispensary licenses that are going to be issued. And the Department of Health Services is putting out uh, there are rules for what it takes to qualify for these licenses that are earmarked as social equity licenses. And so right now in the state of Arizona, there's a lot of discussions going on behind closed doors and down at Department of Health Services about what does it mean to qualify for a social equity business? And so with the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association, the overarching goal is to ensure that those licenses provide opportunities and revenue into communities that have been disproportionately negatively impacted by the war on drugs and specifically cannabis criminalization. So that's, that's really what drove us to focus. You know, I, I partnered up with Chance, um, seeing what he was doing, and I felt like it was a really important piece to the equation um, to make sure that that revenue is getting back into those communities, that those opportunities are really being provided for communities that have been negatively impacted by cannabis criminalization over the last 40, 50 years. Sure, sure. And uh, we definitely want to talk about that. Um, but before we get there, um, I think that it's it's worth mentioning. Um, you know, I think it's very special. Um, and it should, be, it should be normal, but I recognize that in this world, it's not yet normal. Um, that you, Jesse, are white. It's a radio show, but yeah. 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 You're right. That's why you got to let people know. Yeah. 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 Um, I didn't know that about Jesse. <laughs> you didn't know? No, I was. Yeah. You when you just said it, I got confused, but I had to recalibrate. <laughs> you are white, Jesse. Yes, yes I, am, wow. I am white. Uh, I am white. I learn so, something new every day, man. Uh, the reason that <laughs> Thanks to Ramses. The reason that's special is because, um, you know, this, uh, or rather this past year, 2020, has taught us a lot about ourselves and about each other um and you know i i tend to do this but you know it's my show so i get i can do it um you know we're all brothers and sisters and i think that last year really taught us a, at least some of us approximately half a little more than half of us that uh <laughs> that you know we're here together we're in this together we 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 laugh we feel pain we you know we want the best for our future and our posterity and it's okay to empathize with each other. And one of the things that, you know, Q and I, we talk about all the time is that, you know, last year when we were out on the streets, you know, for all the protests and we were, you know, tuned in into the media in a way that perhaps we never were before, um, you know, we saw, of course, a lot of black people, a lot of black people writing their stories, you know, making sure that the stories were written the right way um empowered powerful voices but we also saw a crazy number of allies who looked nothing like us we saw people from all faiths all walks of life many of whom were white folks and so um i think that it's important uh we both think this is important on this show to celebrate allies brothers you know that may not look like us but will take time out to help create a, a 
a world where there's a little bit more fairness, there's bring a little bit more balance to the universe. And, sure. and um, you know, I, I know that, you know, folks listening don't know the story, but what happened was you reached out to me through our social media, which by the way, follow our social media at Civic Cipher on all platforms. Um, and, uh, you know, mention this Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association. And, um, you know, we were asking about, you know, how can we be involved? How can we support? And I think above all else, just kind of letting folks know what you're doing and why this exists. I think that on some level, it empowers other folks to be an ally. Um, it empowers other folks to, you know, take the time out to try to create something that brings a little bit more fairness into the world. So sure. me saying that you're white is not just me saying it. Me saying that it, it in that way is because I think it's it's almost critical. You know, yeah. that there's, you know, when we were on the streets um, last year. I I would guess that there was maybe 10% black folks out there. Yeah. Everybody else mm-hmm. was all different colors of people. All mm-hmm. And it was beautiful to see that everyone was like, hey, these deaths are senseless and, you know, there needs to be accountability. These are, these lives are precious. These lives matter, you know, and um, that's the same energy that I got from our initial interaction. So I thank you for coming up yeah. onto the show um, to talk about the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association. So, thank you for having us. I mean, yes. and thank you for for welcoming me and, and putting me in a position to to talk about this organization with you know with chance. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, one of the things that we didn't get to talk about um, in the past is that, or rather with respect to black history is um, the way drugs have affected the black community over, you know, the uh, centuries um, or over the decades, not centuries um, in this country. And, you know, there was, uh, you know, if you do your history, American history, you'll know, you'll know that, you know, once upon a time there was a, an association with Negro jazz and marijuana cigarettes, mm-hmm. you know, but there was no real criminalization of that. Um, and, and once upon a time, it wasn't even illegal. Um, there was a, a, a smear campaign um, that I think was backed by Big Tobacco once upon a time and, and the government to try to regulate. Um, don't hold me to this because I don't know. It exa- I'm, it's not as fresh in my mind, but um, it was meant to... Um, create a, a, a means to infiltrate, you know, certain communities. And that's the same thing that has been done uh, more recently um, in the eighties, especially um, one of the things that we didn't get to talk about was um, the, uh, the way uh, crack made its way into the, to the country. And I know that we're talking about cannabis, sure. but you know, I think that in talking about the crack epidemic in the eighties, um, we can begin to understand the way this war on drugs that um, was enacted under the Reagan administration, if I'm not mistaken, um, has adversely uh, affected, you know, black and brown communities, overly criminalized, overly policed, um, and uh, economically um, disadvantaged further black and brown communities. And so, um, so that we can kind of continue on with our black history theme, um, while we still have the chance, um, for those that don't know, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Gary Webb. Um, he was a journalist and he wrote a story about how in the 80s, the CIA helped finance a covert war against Nicaragua's leftist government through the sales of cut rate cocaine in South 
central Los Angeles through a drug dealer. Uh, his name was Ricky Ross. Uh, if you know the name Rick Ross, then you know that Ricky Ross is where Rick Ross got his name from. He was a big-time drug dealer. And uh, the CIA showed this guy how to make crack cocaine, and you know that's how um, that crack epidemic started. Um, it was funneled directly into uh, black neighborhoods. And then, you know, we all know the story that a little bit later, um, you know, the laws were changed and new laws were enacted because this was a new drug that um, gave harsher sentences. I think it was either three or five times uh, the amount of a sentence for crack cocaine than it was for just regular cocaine. Mm -hmm. So if you had crack cocaine, it was just more, you get more uh, punished more harshly, um, which was exceptionally unfair because those two drugs almost, you know, went, went along the color lines. Um, you know, co regular cocaine. No, not almost. It didn't almost go along, along the color lines. You, I stand corrected. They very, very they flagrantly and very, very <laughs> intentionally drew that line based on the color of the people that were most affected by the different versions of the same. Right. Exactly. And chemical. And the crazy part about it is that, you know, these people were taught how to make it by the government, the same government that's sending them to the to prisons for these extended sentences, never um, recognizing that it's a health issue, um, only criminalizing it. And that led to the further criminalization of, of black and brown peoples. Um, that led to like a lot of the, um, the expansion of gang activity, um, the economic empowerment of gangs, um, which led to more weapons and so forth. Um, and then you get these ghettos that were created artificially by the government but you know the optics if you don't know the story from a suburban white you know uh, person look it looks like well if you get all these people together um then they're just going to act like animals in cages and we want nothing to do with that and there's a there's a disconnect where folks don't realize that you know a government can pull the strings and create a situation where that's the outcome mm -hmm. um and so, uh, you know, um, you can see the direct connection between the government and the CIA and them taking advantage of the war on drugs, which was already, or I think that was right approximately around the time when that was kind of enacted. Um, and uh, the, the increase in the prison population. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, one of the statistics, so I went uh, last week and I got some information from the ACLU. Um, and I'll just read this just so we know. According to the ACLU's original analysis, uh, we're going to talk about marijuana now. Marijuana arrests now account for over half of all drug arrests in the United States. Uh, of the 8.2 million marijuana arrests between 2001 and 2010, just as a sample, 88% were for simply having marijuana. Um, and uh, nationwide, the arrest data revealed one consistent trend, uh, which was a significant racial bias. Uh, despite roughly equal usage rates, mm -hmm. blacks are 3.73 times more likely than whites to be arrested for marijuana. And that's uh, a function of over-policing um, in uh, black and brown neighborhoods. And this is all before we get to the, to the sentencing. So I'm going to pause here because I want to talk about why the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association 
um, or rather what the Black Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association can do to help right these wrongs from the past. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a couple things that correlate to that. The statistics show in Arizona over the last 30 to 40 years, that number's as high as four and a half times. Wow. So okay. it, as, as a black male in Arizona, if you're part of an interaction with law enforcement that's based around cannabis versus a white male in Arizona, all other things being the same as a black male, you're four times more likely to be arrested and spend time in jail sure. after that interaction. Sure. Okay, and that's that's one of the things that when you talk about social equity licensing, that's that's one of the things that I talk to a lot of people about is just flat out there's a disparity there, and that disparity needs to be addressed. And there's a, there's a way right now that we can address that disparity, and it's through these social equity licenses that are going to be issued in Arizona. Um, in terms of ABCTA, one of our first orders of business, and one of the things that we're really looking to accomplish is to bring those licensees together and make sure that the resources that are produced with these businesses that are starting, these are very valuable licenses and there's a lot of revenue generation that goes on and being able to take those and enact education is where I genuinely believe we can start some social change in the right direction. Sure. Sure. And I think uh, fear of policing is one of the, is one of the big things that, that we can really educate people. What are your rights now? Now that Prop 207 has passed, now that it's legal to have cannabis in your possession as an adult living in the state of Arizona, now that it's legal to grow plants on your property at your home, what are those rules actually? You know, it's not, you can't just, it's not a free-for-all, right? There's rules about it. And then also on the, on the flip side of things, educating the police force. You know, I'm sure every police officer in the state of Arizona got a memo or has some briefing but what is the real interaction that's going on between the communities that are being policed and the police that are policing them and what the rules actually are, what the laws actually are. And I think through ABCTA, we really aim to start the ball rolling, getting education into those communities. And that's the start of social change. It's taking some of the fear out of policing in, in the black community. Sure. Good. Uh, no, I was just, uh, just, just to follow up what he said, that's, that's the purpose is to get into these communities and, and educate, uh, it's educated what's going on with the laws because people within the communities don't don't know anything about the cannabis laws or what's going on within the cannabis industry. So our main focus is to is to penetrate the community and, and at least educate them so they know they have rights and you know and they can and they can move forward from there. So and I'm glad you mentioned that. There's two things that I want to talk about there. One is the uh, the education. We'll talk about that first. But the other one is the um, the fear that there is. Um, I think that the fear is a two way street too with the black community and the policing. I think that's a two way street because we've seen how afraid the police are. Um, that's been on full display for a very long time. Um, and then of course historically, black people have really had no real rights or real way of protecting themselves against the police. This is why the Black Panthers, you know, um, rose to power, you know, was because they were able to police themselves from the police because the police were the actual terror force in uh, black neighborhoods in Oakland uh, once upon a time and around the country. Um, But first, you know, you're absolutely right in terms of information, in terms of, you know, what these things actually mean. um, There's an opportunity here 
for you to educate me and to because um, we've never I'm, we've never done any marijuana related things or anything cool. like that um, so we've always followed the law um, not that I'm going to but if I wanted to like you said grow something in my house or if I wanted to if I had something on my pe- person when mm-hmm. I interacted with the police what are some things that you can share with 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 us now at this point that are legal versus illegal or you know what are, what do our rights look like oh I'll go first so under the uh, the old law which is a, the medical marijuana prop 206 you're protected uh, to have uh, two ounces and you had actually go see a doctor and get uh, to have what's the qualifying medical recommendations. So medical rec- recommendations, having a medical marijuana card, so that protects you uh, uh, when you're interacting with the police. First of all, so and then under the new law that just passed Prop 207, it's adult use 21, 21 and over. So anyone that's 21 and over can possess uh, and have possession up to uh, what an ounce. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the key pieces there is that it's for adult personal use. So if you have an ounce of marijuana on you in your possession, you're interacting with the police. And they ask you what you're doing, and your response is, "I'm on my way to a party." Me and all my friends are going to smoke. You've now violated the law, it, you know, to the letter of the law. Sure. You're allowed to possess marijuana for your own personal adult use, and it's the same thing with growing. You're allowed to grow up to six plants for your own adult use as an adult you now have the right to make that decision if that's something that you want as part of your life and you want to be able to use marijuana whether it's uh, cannabis for medical use or whether it's something that you consider recreational social use of marijuana you now have the right to make that decision as a citizen but you can't just plant your entire backyard right you have the right to grow six plants they have to be contained and they have to be locked Um, and then you know there's a lot of when it comes to buying from a retail location, dispensaries, there's over 100 dispensaries now in the state of Arizona that have the right to sell to adults 21 and over. You walk into pretty much any dispensary in Arizona now, are you a medical patient or are you a rec patient? And there's two lines. If you have your medical card, you go to one line. If you're there for recreational purpose, you go to another line. And the reason they do that is it's taxed differently. That's so if you're, if you're, Yeah, so there, there's restrictions on uh, the the concentration of THC in products that are sold to medical patients. And then there's a 16% tax that applies to recreational buyers that doesn't apply to people that are using their medical marijuana cards. So there's over 200,000 medical marijuana cards, uh, card holders in Arizona. They're not going to be taxed an extra 16% on their purchases of their medicine that they've been buying for the last four years or two years or however long they've been doing it because this law passed. But that's where the revenue is being generated is that 16% tax. So they, that's where they separate it when you go into a dispensary. And then, um, you know, when it comes to concentrations of THC, for recreational and social purposes, there's some very highly concentrated uh, edibles and concentrates, and, you know, it, stuff that is deemed by Department of Health to be these concentrations are for medical use only. These are not for recreational and social use. So one of the big uh, one of the big thresholds for that right now is 10 milligrams per uh, unit when it comes to edibles and 100 milligrams per package. So in most of the dispensaries, you'll see a separation of the edibles where these are the medical grade edibles. These are 
recreation. I'm, I'm gathering that medical grade is something that's more powerful or more potent. Yeah, it's generally going to be more potent, and okay. depending on depending on the medical condition that people are dealing with, yeah. um, you know, the that. the science and medicine, uh, the science behind the medicine, excuse right. me, is is really showing that when you start using cannabis for medical purposes, the general thinking behind it is start low, low dose, and work your way up. Okay, right? so and that's kinda, why it's... Kind of figure out where your sweet spot is for whatever your specific yeah, medical need is. Yeah. Um, everyone's endocannabinoid system receives THC and CBD differently. Okay. Everybody has a slightly different tolerance, if you will. Everybody's body responds differently. And so it's, it's more art than science when it comes to dosing. And that's one of the big topics of conversation, but DHS is, you know, through a couple years of research and advisement, they've sort of made the decision, okay, when it comes to adult use products, you don't need edibles that are concentrated more than 10 milligrams per serving. You know, that's, that's a fair dosage for adult use. Medical usage, a lot, of, a lot of medical patients like the edibles because they don't want to smoke. Um, they found, you know, the way that they dose them, people cut them up, microdose them. There's, there's a million different reasons why, but there's a lot of medical patients out there that need just a much stronger dose to deal with the medical ailment they're dealing with. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, well, if you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward. That just so happens to be my name. And we are sitting with the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association members, Jesse McQuarrie and Shonson Chambers. Um, and uh, we're talking about some of the things that uh, the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association is doing to, you know, bring some equity to uh, to black and brown communities um, to make up for some of the injustices um, that the war on drugs has created and the over policing and over criminalization of uh, black and brown pe people historically by this country. Um, real quick, you uh, did you want to say something? Nothing in particular. There's a there's a lot that I want to learn, but I don't have any specific okay, questions as of you, yet. Yeah, I thought you were okay. So one of the things that I did want to talk about though is money um so and and i again i'm not the most educated person when it comes to this so i'm just going to talk about what i know and then you guys can educate me okay. so there's been this conversation that's been happening um now that many states are beginning to legalize or create pathways for folks to legally consume marijuana medically or otherwise um and i remember this is a meme but it, i think it reflects the the attitude or somewhat of the consensus that i've kind of been made aware of over the past few years um and this meme says uh there was something about um this white woman and she's like oh whenever i smoke uh when i smoke a joint it makes me a better mom. And then the response to it was, it probably makes black men better dads too, but you keep locking them up, right? Um, so, you know, there's this attitude, I think, that's prevalent, especially in black communities where it's like, okay, well now they're changing the laws um, and, you know, these guys can't provide for their families or they can't relax when they need to or whatever. Um, and then all the good guys are going to look like they're, you know, white, 
you know, corporate and whatever. And then the bad guys will still look like criminals. And then all the people with all the money, you know, because we want to talk about the money, mm-hmm. all the people with all the money are going to be white folks. And all the people who are, you know, uh, saddled with, you know, court debt and, <laughs> you know, uh, everything else and poverty and all this sort of stuff. Felony convictions. Yeah, sure. There's no, there's, and, and so what is it that the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association is going to do um, or is planning on what, what's the approach with respect to economic inequality or economic empowerment? I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think it's almost a two part question because the expungement process and the prison uh, process being, you know, we're going to be releasing some, some people from prison. One of the, one of the other groups that I really, really push people to look into is called the last prisoner project. And that's a, that's a nationwide organization and their specific goal is to be there to provide resources until every last nonviolent cannabis offender is released from federal prison. Real quick, real quick. Um, 88%, okay, half of all drug arrests, to, to quote what I said earlier, according to the ACLU, half of all drug arrests in the United States um, were for marijuana, and 88% of those, almost 90% of those, were for simply having marijuana. So, all right, continue. So, so right now, that's, you know, that's most as of it, the people. As it, yeah, as it stands, there's, you know, marijuana is still Schedule One. It's still a federally outlawed substance. Sure. And there's over 40,000 people currently incarcerated federally for nonviolent cannabis only offenses. Okay. So, there's over 40,000 people that are in custody being federal detained custody. in federal prisons for nonviolent cannabis only offenses. And that's Last Prisoner Project, their goal is is helping with that. And then more locally and more specifically through the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association, if you or anyone you know is in prison or is in that scenario, is released from prison and has a record and they need guidance, they need assistance from, we've got lawyers that we work with, mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a lot of lawyers in Arizona that are really excited and really passionate about helping with that process. Mm-hmm. From everything we've gathered, from everything we've heard from the state, uh, it's not going to be an extremely labor intensive. It's not going to be a costly process. It's something that people are going to be able to fill out the paperwork, get it to the courts, and get their records expunged. That's and that's that's a big part of Prop 207. And you know, obviously, with the stats, it's it's going to be a lot of people in minority communities that need that assistance. So that's that's really really um, something that it, this type of platform, people that are listening, it, you know, if you're in Arizona and you and you need that assistance, you you have questions about it, we can guide you to those resources. Sure. That's what we're here for. Sure, and 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 I want I, I want to make sure that this is this is stated. Now, it's the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association, but as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You will help other people who are not black too, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. Definitely. Very good. So definitely. even if you know someone who is not black, you can still receive help. You guys still have the framework for this. This is just created specifically to help black folks. But you will. And, and I'm white. Yeah. And that's the good thing about the the cannabis industry is it's diverse and you have and it just you know it brings people together. Sure. You absolutely. Know, all yeah. for for a good cause. So and. uh for me personally, uh, ABCTA means going out and just being an example to the community. Okay. You know. Okay. 
So um, I want to still talk about the money mm-hmm. now. Before My, you move on, go ahead. the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association, uh, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, historically black colleges and universities, the Black Panthers. I cannot recall an organization started with black in the title for the very specific purposes of helping and uplifting black people ever isolating their resources to black people. Oh, yeah. No, I just want to make sure we said it. (laughs) I want to make sure I said that, too. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) because in most cases, the reason that there is an Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association and all those other organizations that I said is just because there is a lack of resources to black people, lack of opportunity to black people, lack of access to black people. Not, hey, we're just helping black people. No, 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 no. Black people are just in very, very severe need of our help. So we want to create something for them, in a lot of cases, by them. But every one of the organizations that I just named, uh, the one that was the most radicalized and criminalized of them all, the Black Panther Party. Had mad white people. (laughs) You know, Google Rainbow Coalition. Yeah, that part. Started by the Black Panthers. And the whole idea was uniting as many people as possible to fight against racism, oppression, police brutality, and a long, a long laundry list of other things. So please don't think that the ABCTA is exclusively helping black people. You know, I, I think, and I'm speaking assumptively on their behalf, that their whole mission is to help as many people as they can that need them. And I took those liberties without asking them first, but that's just the impression that I got. (laughs) Very well said. That's the energy. That's the vibe. Generally, the way it works. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for for, uh, adding that. There's, um, man, Q, you know how to steal the show. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, dude. Um, Okay. So, uh, another thing I wanted to add to that was that if you're going to Google, you know, we ask you to do your own independent research. If you listen to the show, you know this already. Google the Rainbow Coalition. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, last week we were talking about the increase in uh, tax um, uh, on our Asian brothers and sisters, and we we made our show available to anyone who had anything to share, anything, any way that we can help empower our Asian brothers and sisters who have, you know, uh, bore the brunt of this previous administration and their racist rhetoric about the China virus and all this sort of stuff. If you've got any pushback you need to air it out there's a space for you here um so in the spirit of the rainbow coalition I, I definitely want you to google that but also google somebody named fred hampton if that doesn't come up in your google search and uh research that man as well um and you know we got to do a show on fred hampton we also have to do one on malcolm x because you 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 saw what came out about malcolm x the uh, police officer oh, yeah. absolutely yeah that there was a was, which we knew the whole time but, you know, to have it actually be admitted by someone um, who took part in it was, uh, I guess that's just how it goes. We had to wait to have it be formally uh, the truth, whereas before we just kind of just knew it in our bones. Um, now, I don't want to get too far away from this, the money. <laughs> now, um, here's how it works, or this is my understanding of how it works. And again, forgive me if I don't have it quite as exact as it should be, or I'm not as precise. Um, 
there are there's definitely one huge company corporation um, that is getting all the licenses or you know by build, building the the national infrastructure. Think of it as like the next Philip Morris or whatever, but for cannabis, right? This huge corporation, um, and there might be another couple of corporations. And what they do is they will basically build the, the industry in their image, right? Mm-hmm. Where historically, if somebody wanted to get, you know, marijuana, this is, maybe I'm being stereo, maybe I'm stereotyping, but in my mind, the way it used to work is, hey, I know a guy, let's go to the poor part of town, he's a drug dealer, and they go and they, they exchange their money. And that was, you know, that was a big part of hood economics, if you will, right? So these big corporations are putting these little guys out of business, these little guys who have, you know, learned their markets, these little guys who have, you know, some of them were botanists themselves, you know, in terms of creating a lot of guys in Los Angeles have been on that tip for a long time. Um, and other places, too. I know in Michigan and Detroit, there's that, you know, that's a, a city where New Jack City is about Detroit, Michigan. Talk to them. So if, if you guys are wondering how the drug industry is in Detroit. Again, Google is free. Do your research. A lot of people think that's about New York because that's where it was filmed. Uh, the writer, the story, uh, a true story uh, based on some brothers from my hometown. So, I know that. yes, Detroit, Michigan, yeah. New Jack City. So um, as far as these corporations, um, you know, moving into the community and and changing the optics of how marijuana looks and how marijuana is used and how it's celebrated and how it's, you know, how the money moves around it. Um, You know, there's a lot of fear uh, that I've encountered, uh, which is, okay, well, we we got beat, this thing beat us, and then these other people are going to co-opt it and it's going to be a cash cow for them. Um, so speak to those concerns with respect to the ABCTA. Go ahead. So, yeah, so I think um, the the bigger the bigger picture right now in Arizona is what is that legislation going to look like when they issue those licenses? Okay. When Department of, and it has to be said on a side note, Department of Health Services in the state of Arizona is doing an incredible job right now. Sure. And you know between COVID. And uh, they actually implemented mandatory testing in the cannabis industry to kind of focus on cannabis. Having their hands full with dealing with the pandemic and all the things that they're dealing with, they've done a really, really good job up to this point. So right now, they're tasked with, they have to decide how these 26 to 29 additional licenses, and to put it in perspective, there's 130 licenses currently Okay. In the that's, state. That's licenses for dispensaries. That are that are dispensary licenses right okay. now that are owned in the state of Arizona. Okay. So we're adding twenty six to twenty nine licenses through Prop two oh seven for the adult use that are supposed to be earmarked specifically for social equity. Okay. They haven't defined what social equity means yet. So this window that we have right now and what Chance and I and ABCTA and there's lots and lots of people out in the world right now, out in Arizona. There was actually a bunch of people down at the state uh, today with a, uh, a bill that came in front of the Senate, I believe it was SB 1121, that had a bunch of language in it about cannabis and where things were headed and what was going on with all that. Um, and some of the big companies actually helped to 
say this this isn't this isn't the best way to proceed with this. And SB one one two one was something that was going to greatly limit the ability of smaller operators to do well. Um, it was going to it was going to limit the types of processes that could be used to extract marijuana. There's a lot of I wasn't there. I haven't read the bill. I just became aware of it today and i was just on a phone call on the way over here this this evening with somebody that was down there trying to get as much information as i could so i don't i don't have the details and i don't want to misspeak about it but when it comes to these 26 29 licenses we've got a pretty small window there's a a couple months when citizens and groups like ours and, and different people can step up and say these are some processes these are some policies these are some things that we'd like to see in place so that these 26 29 licenses don't go into the hands of just just the big corporations that are already that are already doing what they're doing. They're doing a good job, and you know corporations and corporate money. When it comes to something that's generating this much revenue, that's almost an inevitability, right? right. Excuse me, inedi- inevitability. Uh, <laughs> the function of capitalism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, our role is to make sure that these things that are supposed to be giving minority communities an opportunity get to those minority communities. And so when it comes to the money, um, obviously that's, that's a huge piece of it. These licenses are probably speculatively um, licenses right now, just, just the paper license itself without any cultivation attached, without a retail space attached to it, just the paper license itself is probably worth six to $8 million. So there is a lot of money on the line and those corporations aren't just going to turn a blind eye to that money. Well, I'm curious. Why are they so cheap? <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, I mean, um, how do you, how do you legislate minority ownership for these licenses that go out? And, sure. you know, there's been a lot of speculation. A lot of states have tried to implement different social equity um, programs. Uh-huh. And one of the things that's happened in a lot of places is they've, they've done a merit-based system where you put a group together, you put your group in front of the government and you say, this is, this is our group that wants to own one of these licenses. This is why we're qualified. And this is why we should be at the top of the list. And the government has to go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applications and decide who they think deserves a, essentially a six, $7 million lottery ticket based on the story that they tell. Now that's, that's a tough ask for the government. That's a tough ask for Department of Health Services. It's already dealing with pandemic and all these other things. So in Arizona, more than likely, there's going to be a checklist. You're going to qualify through your application. And everyone that qualifies and gets a qualified application in is going to be considered a lottery. Okay. So they're going to they're going to be inserted into a lottery, which is the same way that they issued medical licenses, you know, and it worked. So what happens in the other states is they end up getting sued and the government doesn't want to get sued. They, you know, the people that don't get picked, they come back. I think in Illinois, there's a, about a billion dollars worth of lawsuits right now that the government's got to, you know, fight in court probably for the next 10, 12 years. So Arizona wants to avoid that and understandably so. Understandably so. And then with our group, we want to make it easy for them. You know, we want to put those applicants in front of them that, that qualify. So since we're connected to the community and we we know uh, with me being a native here so we pretty much know the, the community that's that's been hit hard by the war on drugs so with abcta that's what that, that's what we aim to do make it easier and communicate with azdhs and everyone involved so with 
um, so in short, the, the way the money works is um, is still being def- what what social equity is is still being worked out. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, it's still being worked out. But the assumption is the operating assumption rather is that somehow or other the sale of marijuana will have a portion of the profits earmarked to uh, benefit economically or otherwise black and brown communities, communities that have historically been wronged by the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. That's what, yeah, okay, yeah. that's what I wanted yeah. to make sure that we got out there. So. And again, it's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult puzzle to try and put together sure, for like everyone it. involved. You yeah, know? That's, that's ambitious. So how do, how do you, how do you regulate, how do you legislate what a company does with their profits? Right. And so it's, again, this small window right now before DHS issues these rules and decides this is what we are defining in the state of Arizona as social equity. We've got to stand up and we've got to have a voice and people have to say this is reasonable. And now, you know, you have to have the money to start the business. And it's 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 a costly undertaking to, to build an indoor grow facility to grow medical marijuana or recreational marijuana cannabis to supply a retail store is a multi-million dollar undertaking. You have to have access to capital. You have to have access to people that understand the process of building that type of uh, facility. You have to have, there's a lot of security that goes into it. And so, you know, it's not just 26 people are going to get a, a $7 million lottery ticket. It's, it's gotta be 26 groups of individuals that understand the industry, that understand the business, and that have resources like ABCTA. You know, there's there's other groups in the state of Arizona that are based around cannabis that want to make sure that these groups succeed and have the resources to build their retail location, to build their cultivation, to hire the right staff. But it can't just be the biggest companies that have already done it 10 times. Right. You know, it's got to be opportunities for people that have seen it from a distance, that, that want to be involved and want to become entrepreneurs, become professionals, become, you know, business people in this industry, whether it's, you know, 21 year old kid that wants to learn how to grow the best pot in Arizona. Let's send them to community college. You know, Mesa has an incredible agriculture program down there. Let's send them down there, put them on scholarship, you know, teach them how to grow the best pot in Arizona and then get them a job at one of these companies that's, that's gotten one of these 26 licenses. And so that's, that's where you can really impact it legislatively and make sure communities are getting opportunities. It's not just handing out 26 lottery tickets and hoping they do something good with it. It's education, it's opportunity, it's, you know, again, the fear of policing and those things all coming together. So I have a couple of questions. Uh, One is from my, (laughs) there's a cynical space in my head that just is always occupied, so forgive me. Uh, And another is a more, um, more from an educational place. Are there organizations that are the antithesis to what you guys are doing, like that are going out of their way to kind of squeeze minorities out of that space because they already are in it and they want to own it completely? So that's that's question one. Uh, From a capitalism standpoint, I'm sure that there's companies that it's in their best interest to eliminate competition. Yeah, I mean, but that's it has nothing. I don't think. I don't think truly in my heart of hearts that there's an organization in Arizona that's fighting against minorities having opportunities in cannabis. I think there's probably a lot of organizations and a lot of companies that are looking out for their own best interest and are always going to fight to be on top of the mountain, right? 
I mean, that's that's their job as a company is to fight to be on top of the mountain. Um, and it, I think there's probably there's probably certain companies that don't necessarily think about the collateral damage of that. You know, but I mean, every industry that's emerged in America has probably fought that same fight. You know, uh, and the, the second question. And this is more of a you educating me and our listeners. Uh, what would constitute a qualified group? You know, say I had a group of people that wanted to give me some money because they believed in me as a person, and I thought, you know, let me see what what it would take to start a company that would be seen as or deemed worthy right. uh, of receiving one of these licenses or or at least a realistic opportunity. What type of capital would it take? You know, what type of liquid assets? What type of you know, professional background would the applicants have to have? If, if I had a group of individuals or wanted to, you know, reach out to some people I know that are in the alcohol and spirits industry or the nightlife industry that, or professional athletes that sure. had the, the working financial capital, what other type of things and what amounts of money, if you will, would, would it take for something like that to be realistic? So with us, it's about group group economics you know coming together and, and pulling our resources together through abcta so if you did have a group i think a good starting point would be with us since we know pretty much what's going on and we can give you that information and give you solid numbers as far as what it's going to take so and that's what we're in the process of doing betting different people who want a chance at a dispensary license you know because the, the more we have on board the more powerful we are so we are going to go through a vetting process with, you know, with teaming up with other organizations or people that's interested in being involved in, in the process. Yeah, and I mean, to, to kind of address the numbers, that's a question that's asked in almost every single networking event, every Zoom that I go to. Somebody, somebody asks that same question and nobody really has the answer right now. Uh, there's a couple big factors at play. One is how much the application fee itself is going to be. Um, which I think, you know, in, in reality, I think it's going to be about $25,000 per application. So essentially it's a $25,000 lottery ticket. Um, and that's, that's probably the least expensive part of the equation. Uh, you're definitely going to need uh, lawyer services. And there's a couple of law firms here in Arizona that are specifically geared towards cannabis businesses. But you've got to do airtight partnership agreements. You've got to have all of your, all of your partners you got to do background checks on people. You gotta, there's a lot that goes into establishing that um, application writers are, are going to be part of the equation. And then one of the biggest expenses that we're not sure what DHS is going to do, um, for example, when they were issuing medical marijuana licenses, dispensary licenses, you had to have the real estate. You had to have purchased, you had to own or have a lease agreement on the real estate where your dispensary was going to be. And it had to be zoned. So that obviously is a huge expense, you know, it's a huge expense to buy a piece of commercial real estate that's zoned for cannabis just to apply. And so DHS hasn't decided, they haven't put out the rules yet, whether or not that's going to be part of the equation for social equity applicants, you know, but there's a scenario where you're going to have to have a six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar, a million dollar piece of commercial real estate just to put your application. And in. the real estate has to be pre-zoned for commercial cannabis? That's the way they did it with uh, the medical program. Now, wow. whether or not that's going to be part of the equation, that's part of the conversation right now. That's the window that we have is to say, 
these things are going to lead to more true social equity opportunities for the people that get these licenses. These things are going to lead to the big companies getting their hands on most of them. So we got to kind of decide what direction DHS is going to go. They got to protect themselves. You know, the last thing anybody in Arizona wants is for 26 people to end up with these licenses. And five years from now, three dispensaries have opened because nobody has the capital or the know-how to get them up and running. Right. So that's, that's, a fair question, but it hasn't been answered yet, and we got to wait for DHS. Okay. I'm also super curious to know, and this might not even be something that exists yet as far as information. Uh, for example, if the four of us started a group, would you disqualify us? <laughs> I, honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of things that go into it, and that, that question's come up. Obviously, being the white guy that's part of the ABCTA board, it's, you know, it's a question that I love that. It's though. fair. I think that's such you a know, it's, thing. No, I, I asked that question, though, because so, you know, my my professional background is mostly in sports. Mm -hmm. Before I was a DJ, before I got into alcohol and spirits, I represented pro athletes. And right. as a marketing agent, a piece of advice that we would give, because once upon a time, I'm not sure if this is still true. The federal government would give first right of refusal on, let's say, government contracts. If you were a contractor and you were black, you'd have first right of refusal. Right. So one of our clients, white friends that were in construction would 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 partner up with his black friend at whatever percentage was necessary to put himself in position to get that minority first right of refusal. Right. I'd imagine that not someone like yourself, but someone white who saw that as a loophole would say, OK, well, I have some black friends or I know somebody black that I could give enough money this. to be the face of this so that I could get that license. Yeah. So that's why I asked that question. And, and that's been the problem with a lot of uh, social equity programs that pass like in, in other states. You know, those big operators are coming in trying to get under someone and uh, give them the money and, you know, pretty much just give them a, a lower percentage of what of what they're uh, what they supposed to be getting. So and that's what's going to go on here in Arizona is that we're going to try to, we're going to prevent that and get the people that's really qualified and, yeah. and work with, you know, that's our main thing. So. Yeah, the thing that makes that tough is that you do have honest people like yourself where, you know, we could honestly be best friends and really have each other's best interest, you know, at the forefront of everything that we're doing. And I, I, I think it'd be, that's going to be hard for them to regulate because I think it'd be unfair for us to be disqualified because my son's godfather, my daughter's godfather is white. Right. You know I, what I mean? I don't, He's the person I'd probably most likely, if I was doing something like this, go into business with. I don't anticipate that Arizona DHS is going to be able to disqualify anyone based on the color of their skin. Okay. I don't. I don't think that that's something that they're gonna that they're gonna want to try and legislate. Nobody would want to touch that. Like, yeah. So. Um, other states and, and their speculation of, well, if you grew up in this in this zip code, if you can prove that that's where you lived, and that that's an area of town that was over policed and et cetera, some people uh, some people want to put forth legislation that if if you've spent time in prison or you've been charged and convicted of a cannabis crime, that right. okay, now you've got first right of refusal. You're going to the top of that list. But again, when you start sorting through all the little loopholes and all the and little things that people hard. can do to get to the top of that list. And then the state's got to make decisions and yeah. assign those licenses. You're talking 10, 12 years of lawsuits and expecting an organization like a, a governmental agency like DHS 
to sort through all that is a big, big ask. So I think, you know, I think most of the smart money in Arizona right now is that there's going to be a list of qualifiers. You got to check all the boxes. You got to have an airtight application. And once once you get to that point, you're it's a ping pong ball, and you and you're pulling for the lottery, man. Yeah, I think the rest of those boxes are harder though. The money's the easy part. Yeah, right. Because yeah. people are smart and they see. Okay, we'll probably make six to eight million dollars doing this. It's easy to give people to get people to invest in something like that. So the money will be the easiest part. I think the other boxes on that on that checklist will be the things that are that are uh, that narrow the pool a bit more than just the money. I think the money the money part I think will just keep people who aren't serious from applying. Yeah, and I think I think that's fair. And a lot of people. A lot of people look at that application fee. Oh, well, that's going to disqualify people from mm. applying for social application equity. Application fee. When he said I think that Chance number, will kind of <laughs> back that up. Like, if if you can't put up the twenty five thousand for the application fee, what was your plan for the eight hundred thousand dollar real estate mm-hmm. and the and the two and a half million dollar build out? And then on the back end, you know, you got to the cultivation is going to be six or seven. Like, where's that capital coming from? You can't uh, come from zero and and expect to acquire that type of asset, no matter what industry it is. Absolutely. And it's good that um, there's organizations like the Arizona Black Cannabis Trade Association to educate folks and um, I believe empower folks, the folks who need it the most um, and who have been hurt the most by you know previous policies. And so, of course we can't you know get into everything, but if, if folks have a question for you, if they wanna, you know, you guys have social media or any way they can reach out um, to learn more, um, yeah. be more educated. Yeah, we're on uh, Instagram at Arizona Black Cannabis, uh, Facebook, uh, reach out email. It's Arizona Black Cannabis? Yep, Arizona at Arizona Black Cannabis. Okay, all right. And uh, Jesse, you have anything um, for folks to reach out to? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's. I can just put my cell phone number out on the air if that's if you something. Want, you, yeah, yeah, you can put it whatever you want. Your social media, yourself. Yeah, if you want to reach out to me directly, my my number is four eight zero eight eight one two six three seven, and that's always going to be the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, uh, you know, if if you send an email, uh, we can definitely we can definitely get to it that way too. Okay, absolutely. And that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cipher. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward. And, uh, you know, hit, up, hit us up on our social media again at Civic Cipher. Hit the website, civiccipher.com. Um, submit all your questions, uh, any topics you want us to cover. Um, download previous shows on all podcasting platforms. And, of course, donate, donate, donate. Uh, consider becoming a Patreon. It really helps us out here a lot. Um, and, yeah. Ramses Ja for president. Or mayor, Listen, at least. Listen, that's way too much. But I'm just not saying. out of the question. All right, we'll see you all next week, all right?